Chapter Seven of the Memoirs of a White Elephant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. The Memoirs of a White Elephant by Judith Gautier. Chapter Seven: The Light of the World. The Raja of Golconda, my new master, was called Alemguir, which signifies the light of the world. He certainly did not show me the respect to which I was accustomed. He did not prostrate himself, nor even salute me. But he did better than either. He loved me. From the first he spoke kind words to me, not in my quality of white elephant, which is a distinction much less thought of in India than in Siam, but because he found me intelligent, good-tempered, and obedient more so than any of his other elephants. He remembered me and came to see me every day, and saw to it that I was not allowed to lack anything. He had changed my name from King Magnanimous to Iravata, which is the name of the elephant who bears the god Indra. The title was certainly sufficiently honourable, and I was easily consoled for being no longer worshipped as an idol by the pleasure of being treated as a friend. Alemguir, would have preferred that his queen, Sapphire of Heaven, should always use me as her mount, but she never would consent to install herself on my back. "'It would be sacrilege,' said she, "'and a grave offence to one of my ancestors.' She was persuaded that I was one of her forefathers, undergoing a transformation for the time being. Her husband rallied her good-naturedly upon the subject, but she would not yield. So he gave her a black elephant, and kept me for his own service. I was proud to carry my prince in promenades, in festivals, and in tiger-hunting, which he taught me. My life was much less indolent than in Siam, and much more varied and interesting. My Mahout, in spite of the trouble that this stirring existence imposed upon him, also found it pleasanter than the monotony of the old life, and as usual he confided his sentiments to me. I was also instructed in the art of war, for during the year following the marriage of Alemguir with Sapphire of Heaven, grave anxieties came to darken the happiness of the young married couple. A powerful neighbour, the Maharaja of Mysore, sought without ceasing to fasten a quarrel upon the Prince of Golconda concerning certain questions of boundaries. Alemguir did all in his power to avoid hostilities but the ill-will of his opponent was evident, and in spite of the conciliatory efforts of the ambassadors, a war seemed imminent. The princess wrote to her father, the king of Siam, who sent cannon and a few soldiers, but the enemy was formidable, and the apprehension of all increased from hour to hour. One day the ambassadors returned in dismay. Diplomacy had failed, negotiations were at an end, and the Maharaja of Mysore declared war the necessary preparations were made in haste, and one morning I was invested with my armour. A sheathing of horn covered me and descended below my knees. On my head was a helmet of metal, with a visor of iron, perforated with holes for the eyes, and a point projected from the middle of the forehead. My crupper and flanks were defended by a flexible armour, as was my trunk, which had a ridge running down the centre, armed with pointed teeth of metal and upon my tusks were steel casings, 
sharp and cutting, which lengthened them greatly and made of them terrific weapons. Thus accoutred, my Mahout, who was also in armour, and weighed more heavily than usually upon my neck, guided me to the portico of the palace overlooking the great courtyard, where we assembled all the chiefs of the army. Prince Alemguir appeared at the entrance, and the officers saluted him by clashing their arms. He was magnificent in his warlike array. He wore a tunic of gold-linked armour, under a light breastplate studded with diamonds. He carried a round shield that blazed with jewels, and his helmet was gold with a diamond crest. Standing upon the upper steps of the portico, he harangued his troops. But as I did not then understand Hindustani, I do not know what he said. When he was about to mount, the Princess Sapphire of Heaven rushed out of the palace, followed by all her women, and threw herself, sobbing in the arms of her husband. "'Alas!' cried she, "'what will become of me separated from you? How shall I endure the continual anguish of knowing you exposed to wounds and death? The air which we hoped would be born in joy and festivity now will enter life amid tears and despair. Perhaps he will be born an orphan, for if the father is killed, the mother will not survive.' I listened to this, and felt my heart ache under my coat of horn. The prince, much affected, could hardly restrain his tears. He made an effort, however, to master his emotion, and replied with calmness. "'Every man,' said he, "'owes his life to his country, and the prince more than any other man. Our honour, and the welfare of our own people, are more dear to us than our own happiness.' We must set an example of courage and self-sacrifice, instead of allowing ourselves to be softened by tears. If the war proves cruel to me, and I die, you, my beloved wife, will live to bring up our child, and hereafter we shall find each other, and be forever happy in the life to come. He gently disengaged the clasp of her delicate arms. The veil of the princess caught on the breastplate of the prince and was torn. The prince gathered a fragment, and kept it as a talisman. And now Alemguir was in the howdah, and it was to me that the princess appealed, with breathless sobs. Iravata, thou who art strong, and who lovest thy master, and who ought to love me, for thou hast the soul of one of my ancestors, guard the prince, protect him, and bring him back to me living, for if he comes not back I shall die. Speaking these words, the princess became as pale as snow, and fell fainting into the arms of her servant. I made a resolve in my heart to defend my master with all my might, and not to fail in risking my life for the safety of his. Taking advantage of the swoon of the princess, which made her unconscious, Alemguir gave the signal to depart. We left the palace, and then the city, to join the main army, which was encamped outside on the plains. The artillery and the elephants were placed in the centre, the horsemen on the right and left, and the foot-soldiers in front and at the rear. The trumpets sounded a warlike march, the drums beat, the whole army gave a shout, and we marched on the enemy. End of chapter 7